This is Chris. Welcome to episode 284 of X Lapsed, where uh, we have a milestone issue, and uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, a penultimate issue. Uh, this is Marauders, and uh, hmm, you know, there's a lot to be said about the exploitation of the milestone numbering, right? Uh, something that we faced uh, a lot back in the. Uh, 90s, where like every multiple of 25, or sometimes every multiple of 12, would get a, uh, you know, a jumbo-sized uh, enhanced cover, sort of a culmination type of story where big things would happen. Um, sometime around the turn of the century, we all decided we're way, way too smart and sophisticated for that. So, um, yeah, so we don't have a whole heck of a lot to talk about with this issue. It is a milestone. In numbering, but in so far as the story is concerned, well, it's a it's a story, or it's part of a story. Uh, well, let's get into it here. This is Marauders number twenty five at a December twenty twenty one cover date, and I believe this is the final twenty twenty one X book that we'll be covering on this program from here on out. It'll be twenty twenty two cover dates anyway. Story's called Night of the Comet, written by Jerry Duggan with art by Phil Noto. Letters, VCs, Corey Petit, designs, Tom Muller, head of X is Hickman. Edits, Amaro, Biso, White, Sabolsky, cover price $3.99. Went on sale October the 27th of 2021. Now we open with, uh, well, stop me if you heard this one before, a mostly blank quote page. Uh, they, these really have come back into style, haven't they? I feel like the X-Books brain trust kind of stopped abusing these for a little while, but uh, now they're back in full force. Now, I, I suppose where, you know, there isn't all that much story to be told, like in this issue, we need to kill our pages somehow, so I guess this is as good as any. Now, this is a quote from Ogun to Shadowcat from back in the Wolverine and Kitty Pride miniseries. I don't have my Wolverine miniseries long box handy, so I can't verify whether or not this is a real quote or a made-up quote. I suppose I could check Unlimited, but, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter anyway. A double-page spread of Roll, Call, and Cred. Our characters include Emma Frost, Call Me Kate, Sebastian Shaw, Bishop, Pyro, and Eden Rixio. Huh. Poor Iceman must have really done something to tick Duggan off, because he's left out of the Roll Call yet again, and he's going to play a fairly major role in this issue. Odd. Huh. Now, if you recall, and I know when I picked this issue up, I did not, um... But last issue ended with that Eden Rixio guy taking back the Mercury and jettisoning our heroes into space. And I swear, it feels like a lifetime ago <laughs> that we read that. Anyway, we, we spent half of the issue coming up with a way to survive in space. It's a standard, 
let our powers combine sort of thing. Though it it kind of borders on being clever and very, very convenient. Pseudoscience-y. Uh, your mileage may vary. So Iceman starts things off by encasing them all in a great big hollow ice cocoon. Now you see, he's still able to do his hoodoo since he doesn't need oxygen when he's all iced up. Though, I mean, doesn't ice itself need oxygen just to be? I, I don't know. Like I say, I do have a couple of science degrees, just not that sort of science degree. This is pretty big time use of Bobby's ice powers, though. Uh, too bad it wasn't good enough to get him a little Brady Bunch square on the roll call page, though. Anyway, we're inside the ice comet, and our heroes come too. Call Me Kate slaps Emma awake, which I think is supposed to be funny and or satisfying, but it's neither. Emma diamonds herself up so she doesn't have to use any of the gang's finite oxygen. Now, lucky for everyone that Kitty is here because she is the smartest person in any room she's in. And I swear Claremont and Byrne would cram the word genius into just as many, you know, Kitty panels as they could back in the day. Anyway, she's got an idea. Now, you remember how she stole that pistol last issue? (laughs) Yeah, probably not. But take my word for it, she totally did. Now, she asked Bobby to make a short ice pillar. Then she has Pyro melt some of that ice, making it look kind of like a birdbath. Then Kitty fires the electronic laser pistol into the resulting water. So this is electricity passing through water, which creates oxygen. And uh, less conveniently, also highly combustible hydrogen gas, which, with Pyro standing right there with his flamethrowers, may not be the best thing. We're not going to worry about that. That doesn't come into account here. So the Marauders are saved, at least for now. Then, Bishop and Sebastian Shaw start punching each other to build up enough kinetic energy to let out a massive blast. And uh, you guys know I love Phil Noto's work, right? But these punching panels are a bit uneven, and uh, in the dynamicism department here, if that's even a word. Dynamicism? Is that a word? We'll say it is. I think you guys know what I mean. Uh, some actually look like there's like momentum behind the punches here. Like they're actually punching each other. You can see movement. You can feel the movement. While others look like they're just standing next to each other with like their fists on each other's shoulders. It's eh, a little uneven. And you know, while we're talking about Noto, uh, his Emma sometimes looks like a grown adult, and other times she just looks like the you know fifth or sixth Stepford Cuckoo. It's uneven, kind of uneven. Anyway. Shaw and Bishop store up enough energy to blast and propel them toward the Mercury. I forgot that Shaw had this power. I still don't know that he does. I thought I thought the difference between Shaw and Bishop, and I could be completely mistaken, I could just be misremembering. Bishop was able to, you know, store kinetic energy and blast back, right? I thought with Shaw, he would store kinetic energy, but he would just get, like, stronger. Like, he could fight harder. You know, he, he can just be stronger, not really emit a blast of energy of some sort. I, again, I could be wrong. I could be mistaken. Anyway, Emma lets them see through her eyes in order to line up their aim, right? So they do the thing. They blast a hole in the ice comet, which propels, propels them careening toward the hijacked Mercury. And Bobby is right there to immediately patch the hole up so they don't get sucked into the vacuum of space. And, uh, you know, uh, he saves their lives again, but still doesn't get a a little square on the roll call page. Now, when close enough to their quarry, uh, Kitty phases out of the comet and into the Mercury, where Rixio is uh, 
getting drunk and jamming out to some space tunes. Now Kitty phases her way in and uh, falls through the floor of the Mercury uh, before slamming, you know, nose first on the floor of the hull below. Now Kitty's poor nose has certainly taken a beating in this book, hasn't it? Anyway, Kitty is now bleeding from the nose, which makes me think that Russell Dodderman put the wrong marauder on the cover of this issue. Anyway, from here we get five pages of Kitty beating up Rixio, finally removing his headband tiara gimmick, which allows Emma to pop into his mind and take over. The Mercury is then piloted over to the Ice Comet, and the Marauders are saved. Bishop comments that this adventure was such a great success that he'll be including it in his war college, this uh, college he'll be starting up soon. Okay then. We wrap up with Emma and company dumping Rixio on Rocco with all the Mysterium he stole. Frost says that this concludes their business, and it makes them even Steven. Rixio is cool with this, but makes sure to get in a dig about how the Marauders don't fight fair, to which Emma's like, yeah, what are you going to do about it, right? We wrap up with an info page, and it's a memo from Bishop to the other captains of Krakoa about this potential war college thing. He's basically just saying that uh, the captains ought to do something in service of the island itself. And Magic does drop a note at the bottom of this memo comparing this to mutant jury duty, but says it's a good idea all the same. Next time out, we're either going to be jumping right into the 2022 cover-dated books. I do have a couple of them here that uh, came in my latest uh, DCBS package. Or we might just be covering the first issue of Phoenix Song Echo, which I've yet to look at, but it is sitting right next to me here. I'll take a look at it, see if it's something that fits into the purview of this program. I did flip through it, and I see that Forge is somewhat prominently uh, placed in the book. And uh, also I read a few panels, and the dialogue is... um, Hmm, I don't know if it was just these couple of panels that I looked at, but the dialogue is a little wonky. But anyway... We will figure that out when we get there. Uh, For now, let's talk about this uh, milestone issue of Marauders. And uh, I guess in words of one syllable, uh, I would say, eh, this was really kind of just there. You know, nothing special, nothing to get really angry about. It was just just an issue. Um, I guess uh, we can take a little bit of solace in knowing that the cast of the friggin' book finally appeared in the book and actually did something in the book. Uh, I could be projecting here. I probably am. But it feels uh, pretty apparent to me that Duggan is kind of... He's kind of done with this book. He's kind of over it. Fair play, though. He's a busy guy, right? You know, he is a busy guy. He uh, wrote that 150-part X-Men Green debacle that we finished a, a little bit ago. And he's also on the flagship book here. But, I mean... This two-part throwaway Eden Rixio bit cost us all eight bucks, right? And it also cost one idiot in particular eight to ten hours of his life. We talk a lot about treading water on this show, especially of late, but uh, this one kind of reeks of it. So much so that uh, I can't think of a single thing to say about it. <laughs> um, uh, you, you know, you remember when, like I said this earlier, 25th issues used to actually like feel like something special. Right, a milestone, something to be celebrated. In later years, in, in more current times here, books very seldom get to 25th issues. So it's like, you know, get the confetti, chuck it in the air, you know, bring in the dancing girls. This is a big deal. But this wasn't. And as I mentioned before, I guess we're just way too smart, cool, and sophisticated for all of those old gimmicks nowadays. All those 90s gimmicks. Blech. 
You remember from like back in the day when comics used to actually sell? Ugh, who needs it? Who needs it? Though, you know, on that same track here, uh, anybody got room in their basement for all 600 Rob Liefeld 30th anniversary variant covers? We're, we're not too smart for that gimmick, are we? Anyway, don't really have anything else to say about this issue. It was uh, just kind of there. Just kind of there. Uh, I feel like this whole Marauders concept might just be, you know, played out. It's unfortunate we're getting a whole another volume of it pretty soon, but uh, we will take that as it comes. Uh, from here, let's hop into the mailbag here. We got a couple of messages to attend to. First, from Evan talking about Trial of Magneto, number one. He says it was good to see the X-Factor team X-Factoring again, although they could have saved themselves some time identifying a suspect if they had just looked at the cover of the book. Another argument for Gwenpool to be added to the team, especially with some of them heading to Marauders. All kidding aside, I don't get this. The trial of Magneto and pretending we don't know who the finger is going to be pointed at. I know they're wanting to invoke past stories more so than providing accurate titles, hence Inferno instead of Parliamentary Procedure X. And yeah, you're 100% right there. They are definitely more in this to evoke uh, things that are familiar to us, things that... Uh, bring back some sort of a nostalgic pang or just a thought toward the past, right? I think we talked about this briefly before, but uh, that's something that I was kind of worried about when they announced these uh, these two stories, Inferno and the Trial of Magneto, because I feel like with every new creative team that comes in, every new era, we're getting these odd callbacks to the past that are really nothing more than callbacks in name only. It's just like... Hey guys, you remember this story that you really enjoyed? Well, here we are using that name again. You know, I feel like uh, writers and creators these days get a uh, get a pass when it comes to something like that. I feel like uh, had Scott Lobdell done this back in the mid-90s, uh, people wouldn't uh, be giving him the benefit of the doubt the way we do with, with a Hickman. And as I've said before, uh, part of me is worried that every new launch we get from the X-Men is going to be more of the same sort of stuff here. Let's just revisit... Uh, names of past stories and uh, and work off of like knee-jerk nostalgia rather than you know trying to tell a story. Not that Inferno's been a bad story, nor has the Trial of Magneto, though it's not really a trial uh, as we're you know as we're finding out. Evan continues. I don't remember the particulars of how Wanda and Pietro were unmutanted, but if they could fool Cerebro, you'd think Franklin would have too. I guess it's a minor inconsistency in light of how poorly handled Franklin's revelation was, but what are we comic fans if not overly concerned about minor inconsistencies? Also, imagine a story where Franklin is at least thought dead and the FF finds out Cerebro has a backup. The Quiet Council would wish Juggernaut was on Krakoa to try to stop Ben Grimm in full clobbering time mode, let alone a malicious, invisible woman. Now that sounds like an excellent story, doesn't it? That sounds like a really fun story, which really calls so many things into question, right? Uh, you know, we have uh, the whole Reed Richards trying to hide the fact that Franklin's a mutant, trying to turn off his mutant powers, basically, not letting him run through the, uh, the portals back when he was still a mutant, of course. So the idea that there is a Cerebro backup on him, and if anything were to happen to him, the Fantastic Four would uh, certainly love to have that that's i mean that's like too good a story for marvel to even tell unfortunately so uh, i'm not gonna hold my breath but that's some excellent food for thought now as for uh, wanda and pietro i'm a little bit foggy on that too 
Um, I believe it was in Uncanny Avengers where it was uh, decided or revealed that they weren't mutants, but I think the story was finally told in the Scarlet Witch ongoing that, uh, what's-his-face, James Robinson wrote back probably, I think it was one of the Marvel Nows, all new, all different Marvel Now. One of the one of the Marvel Nows, I believe, had that Scarlet Witch series. But uh, they went from like, like, did I imagine the whole thing with them being miracles instead of mutants? Is that something that I just like concocted in my head? Because I could have sworn I read that somewhere. They were originally not mutants. They were miracles. Then they were just ordinary humans that kind of faked it, like Scarlet Witch's powers kind of faked it, uh, basically uh, like what Franklin. Kind of did, right? Again, I'm not clear on it It's definitely something I need a refresher on But, uh, yeah <laughs> I, That didn't answer anybody's questions here But let's uh, let's move on Let's move on to the rest of Evan's message here He says, regarding the trial of Magneto As for the story itself, I agree with your assessment It had some good and some bad points But I need more before I settle on how I feel about this one And then Evan returns with I stopped writing, but kept thinking With the confirmation that Wanda could be revived, it's clear that the resurrection protocols will work even for non-mutants, which makes the pending discovery of them over in X-Men that much more dramatic. It's not only for mutants. The mutants have just chosen to use it that way. Mutants certainly could have a reason to fear and distrust humanity, but denying someone access to something simply because of their genetic makeup seems a bit hypocritical, doesn't it? Granted, the five are a finite resource, except if you can clone mutants... You can clone them. And then the ethics of resurrection get as complicated as the scale. Now you see, it's messages like this that I I absolutely love and hate. Because it really puts into uh, perspective how much more we think about this stuff than the people actually getting paid to think about this stuff. I feel like what we've gotten here has been, uh, you know, we have this whole island nation. Right? And we're trying to put together a government. We're trying to put together all like these customs, these traditions, these norms. And we've seen it play out in in books like Way of X, you know, the philosophy bent. Books like God help me, X Corp, doing things with the uh, with the corporation and the business aspect of everything. We've got books going into or touching upon the Quiet Council, their internal makeup. We have Exodus trying to indoctrinate young mutants. We have A society being built here, but it's all very surface level, right? And you'd figure we have, what, like a dozen ongoing books? You'd figure maybe one of them would want to try to flesh out this world that we're living in now, this world that we're building. And it seems like questions like this here, you know, why don't they just clone the five? Why don't the five just reside in one of those factories built in the Savage Land, just working on conveyor belts, just gold balls coming down the pike, being hatched and, you know, incubated and all that good stuff over and over and over again until we have all the millions of mutants killed in Genosha by Cassandra Nova brought back, you know? All that stuff. I, I wonder why they they don't do that. And we've never gotten a, an answer for that, other than they don't want duplicates, right? They don't want duplicates, except when they do, right? When we brought... You know, old man Cable back, we had a dupe. They also don't want clones brought back, which we got Scout back. I mean, it's it's very, very nebulous. And I don't know if this is on purpose, just to show how 
inexperienced and naive the mutants are at, you know, maintaining their own governed island here, or if it's just a lack of thought and a lack of interest from the creative teams here. It's like, do we really want, like, a physical Krakoan constitution? Maybe, maybe not, you know, because, I mean... We've got a lot of creators involved here, and they can't even agree on, like, when stories are happening, who's appearing where, what costumes people are wearing, and to actually have, like, the rules that the entire line are going to be governed by agreed upon and actually followed in every single book is like a fool's errand, right? That's herding cats right there. It sort of kind of reminds me of what was included at the very back of Zero Hour Number Zero from uh, DC back in 94. It was a, a fold-out timeline of the entire history of the DC Universe, which as a fan and as a reader is like, oh, that's awesome, right? Until you realize that they actually just put everything down in writing. And every creator has to follow that. And every creator did follow that for like five minutes before they started going their own way. So rules and frameworks are a good thing, and they can be kind of a bad thing if, you know, if, they're cho- if they choose to ignore it. And it makes you wonder, like, what's real, what's not real? And we ask all those silly questions. Like like Evan pointed out here, we get lost in the minutiae. You know, we get lost in the weeds here. So I, I don't know. I really don't know the point I'm trying to make, if I'm even trying to make a point <laughs> at all. But uh, I appreciate your message, Evan. I always look forward to hearing from you. So thank you so much. Uh, we also have a couple of short notes here from the positive fan over on Instagram. First, regarding WebLapsed, he says, I'm loving Beyond. It's great to see Ben as Spider-Man again. And I'm only including that to remind everybody that WebLapsed is a show on this channel that uh, we'll be digging into a little bit more once this month's X-Books are done. I think I've got two more issues of Amazing from my October shipment that we'll be getting to uh, pretty soon. Having a really good time with Beyond myself. It's a it's a very interesting story, and... Uh, so far, so good. It's been a lot of fun, and I hope uh, I hope folks are going to check that out. If you haven't already, there are two episodes in the archives right now. Now, also from the positive fan regarding X-Men Green, he says, I hated the issue. I want to fight climate change as well, but killing is still wrong. And I mention this because of the handful of people who know that X-Men Green is a thing, this is usually the response I get. You know, something like this, you know, it's like, hey... Yeah, we should be doing more for the planet. We should be conserving. We should be thinking about things before we before we do them here. It's just, you know, it's a good idea. Whether you, whether you believe in things or not, I mean, we don't need to get into any of that. But, I mean, what harm is there in, you know, not littering or in driving a little less? There's no harm in that, necessarily, in the grand scheme of things. Of course, like I mentioned uh, during one of our X-Men Green discussions, sometimes that sort of... A th- decision is out of your hands, right? If you have to drive far for work, well then, then you have to drive far for work. If, you're, if your town doesn't recycle, then your town doesn't recycle. I mean, there are decisions that, that we really can't make, but I only point this out because, like I said, from the handful of people that know that X-Men Green was a thing that we endured, I keep getting answers like this. It's like, hey, I want to do more, but this was not a good story. And I think that's important because... This is one of those stories that feels like it's been written in a way where it kind of uh, sidesteps any sort of criticism. Because if you say anything bad about X-Men Green, 
people can automatically turn on you and just say, well, you just don't believe in climate change, you're just against this, you just don't believe in that, you're a bad person, yada, yada, yada. Totally taking the focus away from the fact that this was an awful, awful story. You know, they shifted over to, to more making it as though you have a philosophical problem with the story rather than an analytical problem with this being perhaps the worst story ever written about the X-Men, which it was. This was an awful, awful, awful story, at least in my opinion. But uh, thank you so much, Positive Fan, for uh, sharing some thoughts with us. I, I don't know if you're even listening to the show, but if you are, thank you so much. Now, from here, let's keep the thank yous going with some shout-outs here. This is thanking the folks on social media who who took a moment out of their day to engage with or click on the uh, posts that I put out regarding this program. Over on Twitter, I want to thank Andrew in Belfast, 21st Century Boys, Chris Bailey, Dave Schultz, Walt Nealon, Joe Crawford, Ed Moore, Billy D., Chris of BTO and Bat Books, Jesse D. Young, Mark Jagger, Pat Sampson, The Long Box Crusade, and Jason Colby. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Jeremiah, Pat Sampson, Walt Nealon, Joe Crawford, and Billy D. And on Instagram, things are getting back to normal here. I think I think if you go away from Instagram for a while and then you come back, they kind of open the faucet for you a little bit. You know, they, they open the tap so you you're, whatever you do gets seen by more people to kind of to kind of like bait you into coming back. Because uh, we got two likes. <laughs> we got two likes this time by... Yudis Alviera, Oliveira, and Pete Eddins. So if the trend is to continue, I guess we'll be back down to zero likes on Instagram before very long. But uh, thank you all so much for uh, engaging and for making me feel less alone in this endeavor. Now I want to thank the patrons over at patreon.com slash xlapsed, uh, Andrew Franklin, Edmore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse D. Young, Damian, Peter McPherson, Mark Jagger, Herman, and Andrew in Belfast. And it's here where I have to do something I never wanted to do, which is deliver an excuse. Um, I was going to upload the next episode of the Action Comics Daily uh, Appendix to the Patreon just yesterday, and I'd already recorded about... 85% of it. Uh, The entire synopsis was there. I did a bit at the beginning talking about um, how I kind of regretted and resented doing the Action Comics Daily thing uh, in the months that followed the conclusion of the project and uh, what I learned from that. And, well, my computer updated to Windows 11, and I lost the recording. So I need to do it over again. So it is coming. It is coming. There's also some more Namor coming. Uh, it's it's just been a, a bit of a work in progress with the holiday and uh, losing some audio, which really, really sucks. But uh, thank you all so much for your support and for believing in me and this silly little project. I think that's where we're going to wrap it today. If uh, anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, please feel free to do so. You can find me several different ways. On Twitter, I'm at Ace Comics. Instagram, 90sXmen. You can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90sXmen. For the complete audio archives, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and you can find that on any podcasting aggregation device system application out there. And, of course, the Patreon is patreon.com slash xlapsed for exclusives and behind-the-scenes and all that good stuff. 
So I think that's where I'll put a sock in it. Uh, I'd like to thank you all so much for choosing to spend some of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.